Good morning, good morning. It's a lot of extraordinary achievements up here with all those graduates. Did you notice it was all women too? I don't know if there's any correlation there. Anyhow, my name is Tim Butler. I'm a former elder here and an occasional speaker. And I want to carry on the series that we're doing, a series on the extraordinary life. We've seen it from many different angles. Extraordinary fun, extraordinary friends. Next week, we're going to talk about extraordinary rest. But today, we're going to talk about extraordinary work, kind of the opposite of that. But there's been some interesting threads, I guess, in the, in the different communication on extraordinary... A lot of it has to do with sort of making sure that self is in its proper perspective, like a little bit off to the side, and that others and God are in the front. And we say that glibly, but what does it really look like? And we're going to talk about that. We've heard for the last several weeks. We're going to talk about it again today. But when we use the word extraordinary or extraordinary, we're saying it's outside of the ordinary, outside of the cultural norm. And the cultural norm is a little bit me-focused, a little bit, more than a little bit. And so to be extraordinary, it means focusing on others, focusing on friendships with others, getting in larger groups than just yourself, being others-centered versus self-consumed. Because the reality is God created us, designed us to do things and to do them well. Whatever he's given us to do, whatever, uh, um, uh, not so much tasks, However we were created to be, he said, be it, be it well, be it well. It's not a good sentence, but I want get to get the point there. And it stops being done well when there's too much self in it. So there's always this tension. How much of me is there to be? Back in the Old Testament times, things were pretty prescribed. They were pretty, uh, pretty laid out. You know, how to, here's the specifics on how to build the ark. Here's specifics on how to build the temple. Here's specifics on sacrifice when you sin. Here's some very specific things to do. They lived under the law, and it was very specific, very prescriptive. But we don't live there now. Jesus came. He, he changed things. He paid the price of sin, and so life has changed. And so now we're, we're free to do what we want to a degree. And that's where, the, that's where the tension comes in is our freedom. And so today I want to focus in on the subject of work, and sometimes videos have a nice way of portraying that message. So I've just got a minute and a half video of a Stephen Curtis Chapman song that I want you to look at. He says it much better than I do, so check out this video. So kind of cute, but it sends the message, right, everything you do. Now, if you know your musical history, there's a couple of different ways I could have gone on that theme. I could have done sort of the Dolly Parton working 9 to 5, or I could be working for a living. Right, or I could have done the Johnny Paycheck, the classic song, Take This Job. And Well, there's different things. It would have had a different implication, though. It would have, it would have played out differently. But the reality is, whether you are a blue collar or a white collar, no collar, whether you get in the home, outside of the home, uh, whether your compensation is with stocks, paychecks, or hugs, we're all doing something. We're all doing something in our waking hours. Even if you're retired or if you're a student, of course, students don't work, do they? Well, maybe a student, I don't know, they work, yeah. No, they work very hard at making themselves better in the direction that God wants them to be. And so the original design from God's standpoint was for our work to glorify God. See, I'm using my abilities to bring back to God what's his. He puts it through me and I give it back to him. And it was all designed to worship God through my actions, through my attitudes, and again, we're trying to go against the cultural norm, which is that 
there's an extreme that work is either a duty to be avoided or an idol to be worshipped. And it's, it's easy to fall in either trap. And as we say in the motorcycle world, there's gravel on both sides of the road, so you kind of want to stay in the middle. So what's the middle look like for you if it's not a duty to be avoided? If I just win the lottery, I'm out of here. I'll never work again. I'm not thinking that's really what God had in mind. But my work is everything. It identifies me. It gives me my worth, my value. It's not that either. And so how do I figure out what it's supposed to be? So let's go back to the beginning. Nick went back to the beginning. At some point, it all goes back there. It's back to the creation story. God spoke the earth into existence. It didn't bang into existence. We know that, right? He spoke it into existence. Then he, he separated out the waters from above, from the waters below. There's day, there's night, sun, the moon, and the animals. And then he put some vegetation in there. But here's an interesting thing that I don't think I remember seeing it much as a kid. The vegetation was essentially in a holding pattern. It hadn't sprouted yet. There was mist covering the earth, keeping it going, but there was no rain. And the Bible says, Genesis says, because there was no one to cultivate it. Isn't that crazy? There was no one there to work the ground, so it wasn't complete. And so God brought Adam into the picture and said, Adam, I want your help. I want your help to t- cultivate the garden, to tend the garden. There was a garden they were living in. And so he gave him a couple jobs. He said, first of all, tend that garden, watch the garden. And then I want you to take dominion over the animals. I want you to reign over the animals, have authority over the animals, which is a significant part of his sin we're going to see in a second. And then he said, I want you to procreate, which that could be interesting, an extraordinary procreation. I don't know if that would be appropriate. We might have to kind of work that one through. <laughs> procreate, be fruitful, and multiply. And then, and then rest, imitate what God did in his creation, then rest. And again, Kyle will talk about that next week. And then Eve was created, still wasn't complete, right? So then Eve was created, and she was given the role of, of, of Adam's helper. In, in Hebrew, the word is azer. And as I've said before, I've spoken that in marriage series and whatnot. Azer is only used, except for here, when describing God as our helper. And so Eve was a little G-God to Adam, pretty significant role, and she was also part of the procreation process. But the the sin of Adam and Eve, it it disrupted that order. That was God's order for Adam, that was God's order for Eve, but then sin disrupted it, sin changed it. And so we live in that world that they then disrupted and Adam was called to exercise dominion over the other creatures, for example, but he instead permitted himself and Eve uh, to be ruled by the, by the little crafty serpent, serpent. So Adam and Eve were out there chatting it up with a snake, you know, talking about the tree that they weren't supposed to take part of. And Adam says, wait a minute, this is starting to make sense. Let's dig into it. Well, actually, it was Eve that did it. Well, Adam was just trying to make Eve happy. That's what Adam thought his job description was, to make his wife happy, but... It didn't really happen. But anyway, they're both in there. They're both doing the same thing. The problem is he didn't declare uh, God's word to Eve or the snake. He instead denied God's word. So instead of declaring the word of God to the creature, Adam was tempted to deny God's word by a creature. And so here's the part where it gets kind of um, personal for us. See, the very thing that God called Adam to do was the very thing that led Adam away from God. It's pretty interesting. The very thing that God called Adam to do, do this, 
was the very thing that led Adam away from God. Sin corrupts along the lines of God's original intention. Sin corrupts along the lines of God's original intention. And so sin disrupted God's original design. And so the very thing that God called us to do, work, is the very thing that can lead us away from God when I put too much of me in it and leave God out of it. And so the challenge is realizing that God's gifted me to do these things, but it's only because of God, and so I give it back to him as a form of worship. So whether you work inside the home or outside the home, or whether you just read books and drink coffee all day, I guess like some pastors do or whatever, work can become our, work can become our life when we work apart from God. So then we're tempted to worship work or worship success. And so Adam's sin led to both perversion of work and leisure, and then his workplace was punished. So let's read about that in Genesis, Genesis 3. And to the man, he, God, said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you eat of it, you'll eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, into dust you'll return. Essentially, this is where gardening just got hard. Now we need Roundup. Who cares what Monsanto does or doesn't pay out in billions of dollars for cancer? And we need miracle Grow. We need all this stuff to work the ground. We need rototillers. They made some bad choices. I've got a, I've got a two-year-old granddaughter who's kind of mastered the art of the words. And she says, bad choices, bad choices. She still makes bad choices, but, you know, she says that. Adam and Eve made some bad choices. Their choices now affect us. So what does this have to do with us today? Well, a lot. Because God, his original design was for us to find our pleasure and our purpose and our relationship with him while we work. See, Adam was working and had intimacy with God. His identity was not in his work. Sin disrupted that. Sin changed that. got messed up. So now we're not necessarily raking ground, sweating. We might be. But now we're, we're sometimes sweating towards being successful or being somebody Remember I said before, it's neither a duty to be avoided nor an idol to be worshipped, but it's super easy to get drawn into those cultural norms. And so what happens, we run the risk of finding our identity in our work. This is what I do, this is who I am. And it kind of can be even a side series in all of itself is a thought of identity. We might struggle with that a little bit, certainly... Kids, we see them struggling with that, but we as adults still struggle with that. Maybe it runs along gender lines. Am I only as good as my looks? Am I as only as good as my possessions? Is my identity in my abilities? Or is my identity in my disabilities? Is it my identity in my successes? Is my identity in my failure? You know, what do I, what do I identify with? And it's easy to sort of make my job my identity, but that wasn't God's original design at all. But it's certainly a common cultural identity. This is who I am. This is what I do. 
Peter says in some lofty words that we're living stones in God's spiritual temple, which is interesting to say, harder to really conceive of that. We're God's holy priest. We're chosen by God. We're a child of God. I mean, that's, that's the essence of who we are. But man, we need reminded of that, don't we, on a regular basis, that that's really my identity. God didn't intend our efforts to be the focus of our identity. I struggled in this past year and a half with my own identity, which I'm not proud of at all. But for decades, I've been in the mental health field, and as you can only imagine, that can be pretty taxing at times. And I realized about a year and a half ago, I was pretty burned out. I need to make some changes. I need to fill my tanks. I'm getting pretty drained. And so one thing led to another. And I found myself doing construction in the infamous Paul Builders building houses one or two days a week. I've been doing that for a year and a half. But when I first started doing it, I'm not in the trades. That's not who I am. And all of a sudden, I'm wearing these trades clothes. If I was painting, I was in all white. And it's like, wait a second, this isn't me. And I thought, Butler, you got some pride going on. Like, who are you? And it was really an interesting time that God used to kind of nail me on a few things. I go to a morning Bible study. I've been going for decades. I wouldn't go there in my trades clothes because I was embarrassed of, wait a second, that's not who I am. That's ridiculous, Butler. Get a grip on it. You are a child of God who's doing different things at different times. And so it's been a wonderful time of growth for me to realize it doesn't matter what clothes I'm wearing. It doesn't matter whether I'm swinging a hammer or chatting with people. It's still, I'm still the same person. But the identity thing was, I was more wrapped up in it than I thought. And it was good of God to kind of stick my face in the dirt to help me realize the fact that it doesn't really matter what you do. And so now I'm doing it and I love it. Um, but it's, it's the thought of, Where's my worth? Where's my success? Where's my identity? There's a great online blog that I read, longer than what's it saying on the screen, but God never designed people to find their identities or their ultimate delight in the achievements of their own hands. God intended for our work to be a way of communing with and worshiping him, not an act of self-actualization and self-glory. And this is why one of God's choicest punishments for sin is not only to make work difficult, but to make success empty. That's an interesting thought, to make success empty. We were were made in a covenant communion with God so that he would be our delight, not work is our delight, not success is our delight. And that's, that's God's purpose for us from his perspective. Um, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. Do all that for the glory of God, which takes a deliberate act to do that because it doesn't come natural. Because we don't live in that sphere. We live in this current sphere. It's easy to fall out of that. Paul also said to the Colossians, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. But what's our goal for our work, for our daily activities, whether you're retired, whether you're a student, wherever you are, what's our goal? And maybe you already have a pretty good handle on this, and maybe you've already lined this up pretty well, and one way of of indicating that is in this weekly giving, this tithe, It's not about money. It's not about money for the church. It's really saying, God, you have blessed me such that I do this thing. 
And so I'm taking some of the compensation that I get from this thing and I'm giving it back to you. It's an ownership thing. And I'm a strong proponent of tithing, again, not for the finances, but for the priorities in life. Because when you tithe, you're really saying, my money is yours. My, uh, my skills and ability are yours. The opportunity you've given me to work is yours. God, it's all yours. I, I, didn't, I didn't earn this. And that's super counterculture. That's super counter. It's mine. It's my sweat and blood. This is my stuff. This is my house. These are my kids. No, no, no. They're all God's. And so tithing is just one way of saying, God, I'm just going to give a token back to you that I'm just proving to myself and to you, acknowledging that it's not mine. I mean, even if you're a full-time mommy, obviously you're not, you know, putting a kid in the basket every week at church, but you're, you might like to. That's another issue. But you're consecrating the kids. You're just saying, God, these are your kids. These are your kids. I've used the phrase of holding tightly with an open hand. That's my metaphor for that, holding kids tightly with an open hand. But you're basically saying, they're not mine, they're yours. You bless them, you bless me with them. So what has God called you to do? Right? Where has God asked for your assistance he said to Adam, I need your assistance. All right, I want your assistance. Don't get lost on words there. I, I want your assistance, Adam. I want you to work the ground. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, theater or otherwise, God is saying, I want your assistance in this area. This is how I created you. Can, you. can you wrap your head around that for a second with me? We are all so different, beautifully different for a reason. God said, I need your help in the sphere that you're involved in. Use it, use it well, and glorify me while you do that, whatever it is. Which means I need to watch my attitude. I need to watch my motivation to make sure that my work is extraordinary. The skills and abilities that I use in the mental health field are not the skills and abilities that I use in the trades. It's been quite interesting hanging with trades guys. It's a different culture. I've enjoyed jumping into that culture. I've had some great spiritual conversations with guys that don't normally have spiritual conversations. And uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting world. What has God created you for? I need your help with. So here's four things to keep in mind to remind yourself on a regular basis that it's God's work. It's God's day. It's God's activity. God is working through me. This is God working in my life. The first thing is just be faithful. I've talked about that many times. Be faithful. The issue is not success. The issue is faithfulness. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Just be faithful. It's not about having the perfect job. It's not about finding the job that makes you happy or the wife that makes you happy. Just be faithful. Be faithful. What has God called you to do? Be faithful. Be friendly, be friendly. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Invest in God's beings wherever you are. Whatever sphere of influence God has put you in, whatever job site, whatever group of people, invest in people. There's always people. There's always people. Little people, big people. 
There's a significant person in our body who watches kids on a regular basis who's been down for the count for a couple weeks. Her name is Gemma Everly. She was back at first service this morning, which is pretty exciting to see her. I think Gemma will be at God's right hand in heaven. Anybody that can watch 37 kids every day of the week, and maybe not quite that many, but there's a lot of kids. That's her job, and she loves it. It's evident how good she is, because there's been like 10 moms that have had to fill her in while she was sick. So she's incredible. So she's investing in little people. So whether you're investing in big people or little people, invest in people. What people around you is God calling you to invest in? Be faithful, be friendly, be fortunate. Have an attitude of gratitude. It rhymes, doesn't it? But it's true. What do I have versus what do I not have? What do I have versus what do I wish I had? Comparison breeds discontent. What do I have? What's my sphere? It's always easier to say if I had that job, if I had that income, if I had that success, then I'd be cool. No, that's not true. If I won the lottery, I am so checking out. No, that's not true. No, I'm fortunate with what I have. Be fortunate. Faithful, friendly, fortunate. Be focused. Be focused. I spend a lot of time in the mental health field with people that don't focus on their lives. They obsess on their lives. They obsess over what they're doing or they obsess over what they don't have. And our lives are actually pretty diverse. We've only talked about a few of them here, but our lives are quite diverse. I need to focus on work and I need to focus on family and I need to focus on rest and I need to focus on friends. To be able to sort of balance my life is a huge issue. But it's part of making sure that my work glorifies God and doesn't become an idol or a focus obsession with that. Something to think about. It's a reminder for all of us, no matter where you are along the journey. Let's pray together. Father God, you are amazing that you have created us with such diversity and such difference in skills and interests and abilities and talents and opportunities. It's so diverse, but God, you made creation so diverse. So no matter how you created us, that's where we are. And no matter what you skilled us with, gifted us with, and that's where we are. So God, we love you. And we thank you for what you've given us. We thank you that you have seen fit to trust us, to be part of your creation. God, you actually want us to do something for you. You halted part of creation for Adam until Adam showed up. God, you are working with us in the same way. We are part of your creation. Not to get heady, but God, this is about what you've put through us, so all of our gifts are really from you. We lay them down at your feet, God. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.